In God's infinite love and wisdom, he instituted the first home. It did not originate in the heart or mind of man, but in the heart and mind of God. There is no human relationship that can compare to that of husband and wife. And so as we gather with a sense of awe and reverence today, because as one man said, marriages are done in heaven and only performed on earth. I start every marriage ceremony that I do with, with, that, with that paragraph, with that emphasis. Uh, even my own wedding started with, with those lines. I know I was not only there, I, I wrote it. And uh, they were there at my wedding for a reason, to communicate something, to teach something, to say something of marriage. And they're in every marriage ceremony that I do to say some things as well. Namely, specifically, that number one, marriage is marriage is foundationally. If 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 we were to examine the very the lowest, maybe thing that we could say about marriage, we could say that marriage is from God or you could say that it is designed by God. That's what I mean by from marriage is designed by God. It is it's his idea. It did not originate in the heart or in the mind of of man. We didn't we didn't think it up. Do, do you know that? I don't I don't know that we do. I don't know. Maybe you've ever thought about it in those in those ways. But we didn't come up with it. No human way back when sat down and said, you know what? The, the cool thing would be, you know what the best thing would be, you know, the most efficient way to live this life would be is if men and women, we partner up and we do the same. We call it marriage and we let's start having ceremonies and this and that. It wasn't our idea. Sure, we added some traditions, sir. We added some 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 ideas to it. Sure, we added some some uh, some concepts to the general principle. But it was it was God's doing from the very beginning. We saw that in Genesis. We're in uh, the latter half of our series on manhood, womanhood. Now we're talking about marriage. And really, the most foundational thing we can say about marriage is that it is God's idea from beginning to end. We had no part in its design. We plug in pieces to the ceremony and the reception and the honeymoon. But the the idea itself is God's. Do we get that? I don't know that we do. If we got that, it wouldn't be so easily to dismiss at times. We wouldn't treat it as so easily thrown away, so easily disregarded. We would cherish it a little more if we if we truly grasp that, wouldn't we? Even those of us who would say, as I say from here, that that marriage is God's idea from beginning to end. And we we wholeheartedly amen that. I don't know that we actually we actually absorb it. We actually live that way. Do we do we do we live out the reality of that truth? Have we ever have we ever just have you ever meditated on the fact that the idea of of this thing you have entered into, if you're married, it's God's idea. It's always been his idea. Marriage is from God, it's not just from him, though. It is ultimately, we could say, for God. In other words, it's it's about him. It's about him. Uh, Not only do most of us think that marriage was man's idea, we assume that it's all about us. Right. Not only do we foundationally think that somebody back there, humanly speaking, must have come up with this idea of marriage. And we're just following along with it. But not only that, that. That it's ultimately about us or we could say for us. 
I want to, I want to challenge that thought specifically in your, in your hearts and minds this morning. Look at Ephesians 5. We were there last week. We spoke specifically to the men last week. We saw that Paul's argument in Ephesians chapter 5 was to use a parallel of sorts of Christ's relationship to the church as a way of saying, men, this is how we are to treat our wives. This is how we are to love them. You remember this? Last week we looked at the purity of love that Christ has for the church. We looked at the caring aspect of love that he has for the church. Mostly we looked at the sacrificial aspect that Paul leads us as husbands into as Christ was sacrificially loving the church. And he uses the church and Christ's relationship to it essentially as a teaching tool to teach men how they are to love their spouses. Let's read through it again and then we'll start. Starting in verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And that was sort of, as we said, an introductory verse for the husbands is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, if this is your first time in this series, uh, I want to remind you that this is not a standalone sermon. We've said a whole lot about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, the roles that God has designed in us to play and how that fleshes out in marriage. We talked about uh, really what it means to be head as a man in the home and what it what it means to be submissive. And, and really, we talked a whole lot about what those things don't mean, because there's a whole lot of bad information out there. So let me say right here, as we're going into this, some of you are saying, and I hope he says something that clears that up or this up. No, we're, we're going to move on from that. But if you want more information on that, you can you can find those messages online. 25 husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, her, the church, so that he might sanctify her, her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as. And here's our example again. Just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. It's a quote from Genesis. It's where we started in this series. Verse 32, and here's, here's our focus today. This mystery, this mystery, this mystery that is the parallel between Christ's relationship to the church and a husband's relationship to his wife, that Paul uses those to teach from each other towards each other. That's the mystery. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. There is a mystery. The book of Ephesians, there are a couple mysteries. Paul talks of the church as a mystery. That the preaching to the Gentiles and not just the Jews, how that is mysterious in a way. Let me tell you what a mystery is. 
uh, in Scripture. A mystery is something that has more meaning than it seems on the surface. Okay? Pretty easy way to think about it. A mystery is something that is mysterious. A mystery is something that, that has more that meets the eye. And at some point in, in the history of Scripture, we saw whatever it is that is called mysterious. It looked like this. But now what, what happens is we see clearer. We see what is more than at face level. It is mysterious at one point, And then there is a revealing that it becomes not so mysterious. We start to understand what is it that, that, that's been hidden in it, so to speak. If there's more to meets the, than meets the eye, what is it that we have yet, not yet seen? Paul's teaching here is not just a parallel. He's not just using the principle of Christ's love for the church as a teaching object so that he can say some things about marriage, about how, namely, a husband ought to treat his wife. The parallel is more like a parable. You catch that? The, the parallel is more like a parable. A parable is something mysterious, right? A parable is a story used. Uh, we've seen this happen often in, in Christ's life. It's a story used. And on the face, it seems to be this. But as you look harder, as you, as you stare longer at the story, you start to see that it's deeper. There's more than meets the eye. You start to understand that there's, there's more to it than what may just be on the surface at first glance. So the point is that when it comes to marriage... Guys, when it comes to your marriage, and if you're not married, when it comes to the marriage you will have one day. My wife reminded me last week, she said, you know, you were talking specifically to men and, and, and that was helpful to the wives of marriage. But she said, remember, there are other people out here who aren't married yet, who hope to be married. There are people who may be going through hard times in their marriage, etc. And, and, and that was a good reminder to me. But listen, whether you're married or not. You have to understand this concept. Paul says this mystery is great. Not that it's great in the sense that it's hard to understand, but it's great in the sense that it, it is a wealth that needs to be understood. And it just so happens we live in a time and there's been enough teaching through the New Testament that it's not any longer mysterious. In fact, Paul, Paul unveils what it is that marriage is for. Or more specifically, who marriage is for. You remember I said that, that there are a couple things that we, we just have to know about marriage. Is where, is it, where is it from? It's from God. It's designed by Him. It was His doing from beginning to end. It was His idea, not ours. Not only who, where does it come from, but who is it for? And I started this out by saying it is not for us. Now, let me explain the mystery that has become clear in regards to marriage is this. That as Paul uses this parallel to teach, as he talks about Christ's relationship to the church and then says, men, now you live this way and you love this way in regards to your wife. It's not just a convenient drawing argument. It's not just a convenient parallel that he says, you know what? Uh, it's kind of like kind of like this. Or it's sort of like this. No, the truth is that marriage, listen, marriage is patterned after Christ's relationship to the church. Christ's relationship to the church is not patterned after our marriages. There's a big difference. 
He doesn't take this teaching and say that, you know what? Christ in the church is a lot like us being married. What he says is us being married is a lot like Christ in the, in the church, in that relationship. There's much for us to learn. One speaks to the other, but one is primary. The mystery of marriage that Paul alludes to here is this. That your marriage, my marriage, your one day future marriage, all marriage had an original, eternal, divine intent to say something about the pattern which it is cut from. To understand marriage is bigger than us clarifies its primary purpose. Let me say that again. To understand that marriage is bigger than us clarifies its primary purpose, its primary intent. Namely, that marriage is a portrait of God's redemptive story. Marriage is a portrait of God's redemptive story. It may be perhaps the most utilized portrait in Scripture. If you think about it, if you go Old to New Testament, it may in fact be the most utilized, most predominant portrait of this redemptive story in all Scripture. As it portrays and thus explains that very redemption, it glorifies God, which is, of course, the chief end of all mankind. So what is the mystery? What is the mystery that he he, he breaks in this teaching towards men? And he says, let me let me say something here, because I've been drawing parallels between Christ's relationship, the church and husbands, your relationship with the wife and wives, your relationship to the head, the husband. Let me say something here, because I've been referencing Christ and his relationship to the church and his headship and the churches, her submission and their union. He says, let me say something here. This mystery is great. But what I'm what I'm telling you is that this is this is about it is. For God. Uh, John Piper says it this way, and he always says it better than, than any of us are able to say it. Christ obtained the church by his blood and formed a new covenant with her. An unbreakable marriage, so to speak. The ultimate thing we can say about marriage is that it exists for God's glory. That is, it exists to display God. And now we see how marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship to his redeemed people, the church. And therefore, the highest meaning and the most ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and his church on display. That is why marriage exists. If you are married, that is why you are married. If you hope to be married, that should be your dream. So here's the point. And. And I have a lot. I've got a couple pages of notes that I'm going to cut out this morning because, uh, well, I'll be honest. Sometimes the hardest thing for a a teacher, a pastor to do is to find uh, what is the main point and to not dilute it with all the supporting points. And so instead of me this morning talking to you about the gloriousness of marriage And going through the details, uh, the extent to how our marriages not only parallel, but they portray Christ's relationship to the church. Uh, Things like the fact that the father offered the bride 
to the son that we were betrothed to our groom Christ before the very foundations of the world. To instead not talk about that union that we have with Christ. To not talk about how we are presented to him with no spot, no wrinkle, no blemish. Just as we send a bride down the aisle in a in a pure white dress. To not talk about this morning uh, how there is a bride price in the Hebrew culture. This price that the groom had to pay for the bride before he could receive the bride. Or to talk about the dowry, that price that the, that the bride's family had to pay to the groom in order so that the groom would receive the bride. And to parallel both of those, the bride price and the dowry, to, to the redemption price that Christ paid for us. And the fact that we have no dowry to pay to earn our relationship. I, I don't want to get stuck on all those things. We go on and we could go on and we could go on. To talk about how in our human marriages we, we leave father and mother and we're joined in union to our husband or wife. Let no man put it asunder. To talk about how Christ left his father, left that natural relationship to take a bride for himself, to be joined to one another in, in an intimate way that, that our marriages barely touch. By way of symbolism to talk about how how devastating, how saddening the concept of the divorce must be for God. Because he would never leave us nor forsake us. It's not a concept he understands in his marriage to the church. That's a sampling of all the parallels. And I'm going to skip those portion of my notes. I give you just that taste Just to say to you this morning that our attitude towards our marriages um, needs to grow. Our outlook towards our marriages, whether we are presently married or whether one day we hope to be married, it's really got to be elevated. Because not only is marriage something that we didn't think of, it's not it's not from us, it's from God. He designed it. He is the origin of our marriage. Not only is that true, but what else is true is that it's really for him ultimately. A couple things here I want you to realize as we talk about our attitude towards our marriages being elevated. One, as I've already said, our marriages are not just about us. Are they about us? Yes. Are they simply about us? No. Are they Primarily or ultimately about us, our happiness, our joy, our fulfillment coming together. They are about those things in great ways, but they are not simply about those things. You know what? We embrace that part of our marriages, don't we? We embrace the part of our marriages that fulfill us. We long for the part of our marriage that says, I want you to be fulfilled. I want your joy to be complete. What we have to understand is, though, that's not the end. That's not the ultimate. Ultimately, ultimately, our marriages say something more than just what they say about our happiness and our fulfillment. They say something about the relationship between Christ and the church, which is, in fact, the story of redemption. Which 
by example, by symbolism, by mystery, by parable, as it were, as marriage is that that shadow of what is the reality, Christ's relationship to the church. Well, what we say then is our marriages, while they are designed by God, mind you, to bring us great joy and great fulfillment, while we are we are we are not lost in the cause of our marriages. We are not lost as a part of the purpose of God's design for marriage. For he he, he took from Adam's side his rib and and fashioned woman because it wasn't good for him to be by himself. God always has in mind our goodness. But what I'm saying to us this morning is don't leave it there. We can't leave it there. There is more. And I don't know that we I don't know that we we grasp that. I don't know that we meditate on it enough. I don't know that we've considered it for our own marriages or our marriages to come. There is more. It's not just about us. Do you know that? It's not even just about your marriage not getting the way in the way of your testimony, believers. Okay? Because sometimes where we focus this, when we say it's not just about you, your marriage is not just about you, where we go with that, and we and, and it's and it's right, but what I'm gonna say here in a moment is that it's still not the ultimate. Where we go with that is to say that your marriage as a believing as a as a believing husband and a believing wife, your marriage not is not just about you. But it says something to this world. Sometimes where we land is still short by saying that you have to guard your marriage and pay attention to your marriage and focus on your marriage and attempt to grow your marriage so that your marriage does not get in the way of your testimony. And what we think about that is still not all the way there where we're trying to go this morning. Because what we do with that is. We say, I've got to be a better husband. I've got to be a better wife because I, I'm a believer. And as a, as a believing Christian husband, as a Christian wife, as a Christian family, our life can't get in the way of us saying that we are believers. There's something more. There's something more even still. It's not just about us and our fulfillment and our happiness. And it's not even just about us getting out of the way so that... Our our bad marriages some days don't misrepresent who we are as believers. It is a uh, it is instead a proactive display of what God longs to do in all humanity. That that's the mystery. And that is what marriage, your marriage, as John Piper said, if you hope to be married, uh, hope to be married, it should be your dream for marriage. That is what your marriage is about. That is what marriage as an office, as an entity. That's what marriage is about. Marriage is about painting a portrait with our lives of Christ's relationship, his redeeming relationship to the church. What a grand responsibility we have in our marriages. What a grand responsibility we have in this parable 
of marriage that we live out every day. Um, a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German guy, he, he was hung in 1945 because he was linked to a group of conspirators to uh, have Hitler assassinated. He was put in jail. Um, and uh, he wrote many books and letters uh, from jail. As I said, ultimately he died uh, a martyr's death in 1945. Um, he, wrote, he wrote his own wedding sermon from prison. Because the woman he had hoped to marry uh, was not in prison. He could not be married. And he never was married to her. But in prison, he wrote his wedding ceremony. And he named it... <laughs> Aptly, a wedding sermon from a prison cell. Wedding sermon from a prison cell. He preached from a passage in Ephesians. But let me read you a quote. He said it this way. Marriage is more than your love for each other. It is, I would add, your love for each other. But it is more than your love for each other. In your love, you see only the heaven of your own happiness. Okay. But in marriage, the office of marriage, the covenant of marriage, that thing you have entered into before God. But in marriage, you are placed at a post of responsibility towards the world and mankind. Your love is your own private possession. But marriage is more than something personal. It is a status, an office. Just as it is the crown and not merely the will to rule that makes the king, so it is marriage and not merely your love for each other that joins you together in the sight of God and man. Flip back to Ephesians chapter 1. Let me show you the, the text for Bonhoeffer's wedding sermon from a prison cell. The book of Ephesians is interesting as we find our text there. The book of Ephesians is sort of a how-to manual. It's the how now shall we live manual. It deals with the practical aspects like husbands, wives, how do you live? It goes on to children and slaves, how do you live? It starts with theology and then it gets very practical and it says, how does that theology impact your life? He used Ephesians 1 verse 12. For his wedding sermon. And it says. To the end. That we who were the first to hope in Christ. Would be. To the praise. Of his glory. What does that mean? It means that we are designed. In all things. To our end to be. To the praise of his glory. That was the text of his wedding sermon from a prison cell. He says, your love for each other, well, that's on a personal level something. He said, but there's something we ought to consider in this, in this office, in this status, at this, as he said, this great post of responsibility. You see the military analogy there? As we're set to a post. You ever thought of your marriage that way? That you're set to a guard post of great responsibility. His whole wedding sermon 
emphasizes that one verse, that our life is designed in all things to be to the praise of the glory of God. What does that mean? That our life should paint the portrait of God's redeeming story, His glory before all the world to see. Listen, do, do we get it? And this is the one singular center tent peg that I want to leave you with, that I want us to focus on, that I want you to leave here, and I don't want you to be able to, to think about really uh, football today as you're watching football. I want you to be thinking, what does that mean? Last week, I wanted you, I wanted you to leave here specifically, men, thinking about what, what in the world, this concept of loving my wife as I love myself, that she's actually a part of me, that I, that I treat her and I love her, not as a separate entity, but as bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. How, how does that work? I, I hope that just stuck with you, men specifically. This morning, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to be haunted by this idea that the ultimate thing we can say about marriage is that it is for God. It is to the praise of His glory. And I don't know that we get that. I don't know that we walk in day in and day out in our lives or in our marriages thinking that. You know what? My marriage to my wife. It is intentionally, eternally, divinely patterned after Christ's relationship to the church so that Christ would have my marriage as a parable here on earth for all the world to see so that they might understand the great mystery that is his grace come down. Christ leaving the father, taking a bride, embracing her, saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, cleansing her, presenting her in, in brilliant white without spot or blemish. Our marriages teach all that. And it's not just happenstance. God designed it from the beginning. Somebody asked me as we started this series on manhood and womanhood, and we began talking about the role that the man takes and the role that the woman takes and how God has designed men this way. And it's slightly different than he's designed women to be this way. And, and, and as we relate, uh, there, is, there, is some, there is some completing there of each other. There is some complementing there of each other. And as we began walking through some of those very tough lessons, uh, somebody asked me early on, they said, why, why are we going through this? It just seems, man, there's some, it just seems like pretty tough stuff. And with a little bit of disdain, they said, is it really that important that we talk about this stuff? Is it really that important for us to know this kind of stuff? Can I tell you now, as we, as we come to what is the ultimate thing we can say about marriage, it is eternally important that we understand the role that we take, man. It is eternally important that, ladies, you understand how God has designed you as a woman and not a man. And that when you enter into a marriage relationship, you take on a different part of that co-regency, of that partnership. Because all of it, all of it. From the way God has designed you as woman, different than man. From the way God has designed you as man, different than woman. All of that as it builds together and it comes together in marriage. God has always designed and always intended that marriage. Marriage. Be the thing. 
that helps the world to understand the clarity of God's redemptive story of his great love for his bride. And can I tell you, listen, that even as our marriages go through hardship, listen, even as our marriages go through struggles, even as our marriages fail, for whatever reason, okay, there's still something to be taught about God's great love for His church. Do you know that there's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to this? Trivia question. Anybody know the book? What book of the Bible is dedicated to this parable of marriage that explains it not just as marriage? It's not just about us. It's not just so that we are fulfilled. It's not so that we just walk through this life and have this partner through life. It's not just about us. It elevates and it, it reveals the mystery that is marriage. And it says that there's something more than meets the eye here. Anybody know? It's Hosea. It's Hosea. If you haven't read Hosea, uh, we kind of stopped preaching that book about 20 years ago, it seems. I heard it when I was young. I've never heard it since. We quit preaching Hosea. Probably a bunch of reasons. Read Hosea. A whole book dedicated to unfolding God's groom-like love for his wayward bride. And how yet he, he chases her. He redeems her. He pays the price for her. He buys her back. He, he is long-suffering. He's patient. He's gentle. He's kind. He's, he's gracious to her. No matter how far she strays. And she is us. He is the loving Groom that pays the bride's price, but also pays the dowry. He cleanses her and he, he dresses her in white and he, he presents her to himself. And one day, one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb, have you heard this? The marriage supper of the Lamb. You ever wonder why it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb? We'll be presented to our great groom in all his glory. The focus there won't be on the bride, let me tell you. It says that we'll be dressed in in pure, crisp, simple, white linen. Nothing gaudy, nothing too expressive that draws attention to us. All the attention will be on him. It may not, however, as I think about the parallels between our marriages and our ceremonies, etc. And Christ's love for the church. It may not be all too uh, negative or off parallel of a thing that we focus on the bride. Because before the very foundation of the world... Christ had a plan of redemption for his bride. What a parable our marriages are. And listen, if you're married, you're walking around with that parable. Do you know the great truth that you carry in your marriage? Do you treat your marriage as such? Do you guard your marriage as such? Do you seek to learn from God's word about what it means for you to be a man different than a woman or a woman different than a man? Do you seek to learn from God's word what it means to to love your wife, husbands? To honor your husband's wives? You see, because that's not all just church mumbo jumbo and it's not just male chauvinist stuff we're talking about. And it's not just all about our fulfillment and making our lives work better. While they will work better if we follow God's design, that's true. There is something there is something more grand for us to understand. That God has always intended that marriage 
be a portrait in crayon of his great love for us so that we can get it, so that the mystery can be revealed. Let's pray.